AML Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the AML Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Charles Craddock from Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, UK. Hello, I'm Charlie Craddock. So I uh, have been asked to make some comments about the role of pre-transplant MRD in determining treatment options in AML, by implication, transplant options. And this, I think, is an increasingly important uh, topic and an area of active, sometimes heated debate. It reflects, I think, the fact that allogeneic transplant is increasingly recognized as a pivotal curative strategy and an increasing number of adults with AML. And that's partly because we have increasingly refined risk stratification using both post-chemotherapy MRD after a couple of courses of induction chemotherapy uh, and also uh, genomic uh, data emerging from NGS that allow us to more accurately risk stratify uh, adults with AML uh, to predict their outcome if treated with intensive chemotherapy alone. I don't have time to uh, go through the really elegant piece of work by the ELN uh, AML transplant group uh, led by Jan Cornelison, which has identified that providing a suitable donor is available and the patient is fit. The patients with a relapse risk that's predicted of more than 45 or 50% of treated with intensive chemotherapy alone are very likely to benefit in terms of prolonged survival from an allograft. But of course, once you have a threshold in that region, that means that really many patients over the age of 50 uh, are almost allomandatory. And we're also recognizing that there's a significant number of younger patients who will benefit from a transplant. So that's one reason for an increased uh, role of allogeneic transplant. The second is, of course, that there's uh, increased availability of uh, unrelated haplo and, and cord blood transplant options so that it, it's a it's an error to say that everybody has a transplant option but uh, a very sizable majority of fit adult patients with AML with a predicted risk of relapse uh, in the region of I've identified can if the physician recommends and the patient wishes proceed to transplant so, so the data uh, that has accrued um, demonstrating a benefit of transplant has primarily been um, identified in uh, adults in morphological first remission. There is uh, clearly a role for allogeneic transplant in patients who relapse and achieve a second remission and this good long-term survival in that population. And also this emerging data that a proportion of patients with primary refractory AML defined as failure to achieve a morphological CR after two courses of induction can have about a 20 to 25% long-term survival. But let's just dwell on this bulk of patients who are transplanted in morphological CR. And the retrospective data there has, has shown really quite strikingly, that patients with detectable uh, MRD, as defined by uh, either uh, flow technologies or uh, molecular strategies, or more recently NGS, in retrospective analysis, have a higher risk of disease relapse post-transplant. 
And actually in some of the, particularly the flow-based studies, that's a very much higher risk of disease relapse uh, uh, compared with patients who are MRD negative. So that's led to the uh, notion that in these patients, maybe the transplant outcome is so poor that they should receive a further course of uh, chemotherapy to try and optimize their MRD status. And I think that that is a conclusion that I profoundly disagree with. And the reason for that is primarily twofold. The first is that um, I, I emphasize the fact that most of the analyses that are informing this decision are retrospective. And we all know how flawed retrospective uh, registry clinical trial data can be in terms of potential selection bias. But of course, that's equally true when you are putting together retrospective translational data sets. And we have found in the only prospective study looking at flow-determined pre-transplant MRD in the Figaro trial recently published in JCO from the NCRI ML Working Party, that although indeed there is an increased risk of disease relapse post-transplant in patients who are flow MRD positive pre-transplant, and this is work led by Sylvie Freeman, actually patients, along, as long as they're in morphological CR who are flow-based MRD positive, can actually achieve a really encouraging long-term uh, disease-free survival. So the, the argument therefore that uh, we should deny patients a transplant if they're flow MRD positive is simply not borne out by our data. Certainly the relapse risk is higher and strategies to reduce that, simple strategies such as uh, optimizing uh, cyclosporine taper, thinking about the use of DLI, and as I'll touch on in a minute, thinking about the use of a myeloablative regimen where possible. Uh, are highly relevant in this setting, they should not preclude patients from receiving a transplant that can deliver long-term survivals in the region of 30 or 40%. And the second major reason why I don't think that such patients should be denied a transplant is because there's no data that uh, compellingly demonstrates that patients who receive an additional form of chemotherapy will have improved transplant outcome. And again, this is largely because the data sets that we do have are retrospective uh, and largely unsatisfactory. And there isn't any randomized data that shows that in patients who are MRD positive, the utilization of an additional form of chemotherapy, the course of chemotherapy pre-transplant will improve outcome. In other words, pre-transplant MRD is prognostic, but not predictive. So that's the reason why I would be uh, suggesting that as long as people are in remission, uh, they should go uh, to transplant regardless of MRD status. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't inform how we transplant patients. And I think one of the most important considerations there would be whether one would wish to employ a myeloablative regimen rather than a RIC regimen. Now, certainly in younger patients, the myelo, use of a myeloablative regimen in MRD positive patients is uh, really the, 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 the optimal uh, transplant approach. I'm thinking of patients under the age of 55. 
And that's based largely on Chris Hurrigan's data from the USCTN study looking at Mac versus Rick, in which he demonstrated that pre-transplant uh, NGS positive MRD patients did better if they had a, a Mac allograph rather than a Rick allograph. I mean, it's important data. Uh, there are limitations with that analysis. The relapse risk in the RIC arm using FB2 was, was much higher than has been observed in, in other uh, uh, prospective studies using FBT, FB2. And, and the relapse risk in the myeloablative arm in the USCT and study is, is much lower than was reported by Ram Baldi in his pivotal Lancet oncology study. So I think there are some caveats about the study, but it would seem sensible in a fit adult under the age of 55, uh, where a back can be delivered safely to, to choose that as the option. Um, the, the challenge, of course, is in patients who have some comorbidities or older patients where it's likely that a MAC regimen may not be so well tolerated about how you improve transplant outcome. And I think it's there that early cyclosporin tapers, uh, possibly the use of preemptive DLI, uh, and uh, entering into a trial, examining the benefit of post-transplant maintenance uh, is really uh, important. Finally, uh, we clearly need to generate prospective data in this setting. And the UK uh, Impact Transplant Consortium uh, is accruing rapidly to two pivotal studies. One is a study called COSI, and COSI has two main randomizations. The first is in mandatory patients with ML and CL1 to ask if there has to be a delay uh, requirement, therefore, for bridging chemotherapy before coming to transplant. And about 70% of patients, that's the case, to randomize patients to intermediate dose RST, 10 grams total versus CPX. So that's, uh, I think, a very interesting randomization, uh, asking the impact of a different form of chemotherapy on both MRD uh, status immediately prior to transplant and transplant outcome. And it's underpinned that, that, that rationale by the provocative data from the uh, Jeffrey Lancet uh, CPX versus DA um, licensing study in JCO from about four or five years ago. Not only did that study show improved outcomes in patients who were treated with uh, CPX, in terms of overall survival, but also when patients were censored at transplant, the patients who went on to transplant who'd received CPX rather than DA had a much better post-transplant outcome. Now, whether that was because of reduction in relapse or actually reduction in non-relapse mortality is still unclear, but the idea that CPX might be a preferred agent to get to transplant, I think, is there and is being tested in randomization one. And then in COSI, the other important randomizations are again looking at the conditioning regimen and we're looking at a randomized manner. Uh, the myeloablative TBS re TBF regimen versus the uh, myeloablative FB4 regimen in patients under 55 and in patients over 55 looking at a re uh, reduced intensity TBF versus a standard FB2 regimen. And the, the other uh, important impact study I think in this setting which is recruiting rapidly as well is Amadeus which is a randomized study looking at CC486 maintenance. And it, it may well be that such maintenance strategies are important in the MLD positive older patients coming to transplant. So in conclusion, I think this is a really important uh, question. Certainly uh, 
uh, takes up a fair bit of time at our MDT and I know other MDTs across the country. Uh, my conclusion is based uh, largely on the uh, small amount of prospective data we have available, uh, but I think that that compellingly uh, confirms that taking patients in CR to transplant is the right thing and that we shouldn't be uh, deferring transplant while additional chemotherapy is administered. All sorts of bad things can happen during that time, which potentially stop patients receiving a curative therapy. And finally, I think it's a plea, and I think there's abundant evidence that as a transplant community, we need to be working together to generate the prospective randomized data that would be considered absolutely essential if we were developing new therapies in myeloma, AML, or lymphoma, and which has been until recently so singularly lacking in AML. And such prospective studies must address in a formal randomized uh, design interventions with the potential to improve transplant outcome. One of these is whether intervention in MLD positive patients is a benefit, and they also must have integrated MLD, sequential MLD and genomics built in. And it's really only because of the incredible hard work and goodwill of so many transplant physicians and research nurses across the UK at impact centers that we're able to deliver the uh, COSI trial so quickly, which we hope will close out uh, in 2022. So thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening to the AML Hub podcast. We would also like to thank our supporters, Genentech, Roche, Abvi, Amgen, Novartis, Bristol Myers Squibb, Janssen Oncology, and Jazz Pharmaceuticals. AML Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.